Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand as our campuses join us in Appleton and in Stevens Point. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith, who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning, and trusting that uh, all of you here in Green Bay, as well as in Stevens Point and Appleton, have been uh, enjoying the worship service so far. Today, we have a uh, special guest with us. Uh, last month, uh, we had uh, Rebecca and Numsa, Numsa Msibi. She was a girl up here singing for a couple of weeks uh, from Africa. And, uh, and I said that uh, Rebecca's dad would be coming in August. He's here today, Rebecca's uh, dad, Gary and Jackie and Daniel, Danielson. That's what I call him. And uh, anyway, so they're going to bring the... Uh, He's going to bring the word this morning. Now, you might have a hard time understanding him. Because <laughs> he has this accent thing going. You know, actually, you see, they speak English. We speak American. Which is by far superior, of course. But uh, <laughs> I remember when I landed uh, earlier this year uh, in South Africa, Johannesburg, and I got off the plane, and uh, Gary was waiting for me. He calls me up, and... Uh, now, there's an English word that uh, we don't use, well, unless you're highly intelligent, I suppose, and even know what it is. It's knackered. Anybody heard of the knackered? Knackered. Knackered. Sorry. It uh, uh, is a word for tired, worn out, kind of knackered. You're knack. Okay. Anyway, with, uh, with the accent and stuff, he calls me and he says, you're yeah. He said, you must be naked. I said, excuse me? Aren't you naked? Said, no, we, we get arrested for that in America. I, I don't know what the heck he's talking about. Finally, he educated me. So anyway, hopefully you'll do a better job of understanding him than I do. <laughs> Give a hand to the Bishop of Africa, our Methodist Bishop. To be honest, I was relieved he wasn't naked. Especially through security, <laughs> body search, that's all I'm saying. It's so good to be here. We have, um, we, have, we have interpreters, if you're not too sure what I'm saying. You're just chatting me afterwards. It's so good being here. Um, I regard Mark and Debbie as um, really very, very special people in my life and in our family's life. We love them so much. And uh, it's, uh, I think it's my third time that I'm preaching here, and um, yeah, so it feels like a bit of family, so thank you so much. I always do extend an invitation to any of you to come to Africa. Uh, no one ever takes it up, so I'm feeling quite safe about, invite, about inviting you again. Please don't all arrive at the same time. 
but you'd always be welcome in Africa. South Africa, it's a beautiful country. And uh, we'd ask you to please pray for us uh, as we pray for you. So it's a real privilege for myself and, and uh, Jackie and Daniel to be here this morning. Um, thank you so much for the way you, uh, many of you um, were so kind to my daughter, our daughter Rebecca, while she was here. She loved this community. And uh, so thank you for just for loving her and caring for her. We really do appreciate it very, very much. I'm going to ask uh, Daniel, he's going to read the scripture for us this morning. So I'm going to ask him to come up to the front, read the scripture, and uh, then we'll take it from there. Thank you. The scripture is taken from Micah 6 verse 1 to 8. The Lord's case against Israel. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains the Lord's accusation. Listen you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Geigal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a calf a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Rivers of oil? Shall I offer my, my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown all you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. This thing around expectations is quite amazing. Um, you see, life would be, I think, a lot easier if everyone was clear of what we expected of each other. I mean, think about it. Think about relationships. Think about marriages. I mean, going into your marriage, wouldn't life be... A, maybe, maybe I need to be careful here, and I'm, I'm generalizing. That, um, that, that marriage and life would be so much easier if you were clear. It, it feels like it takes so long before you're very clear about what your spouse's expectations are of you. I mean, you sort of figure it out as you go. Because everyone else, for example, go into marriage, depending on our context and how we grew up and all the rest of it, with certain expectations of your spouse. Please tell me I'm not the only one. Because you're just looking and staring at me. Um, but it took us a while to figure out what I, I mean, I was, I was just saying uh, early on in that, you know, when we, uh, when we got married in that, um, I, sorry, when I was in grade seven in primary school, they did like an aptitude test, the, the education department, they do that in South Africa to sort of give you a bit of a direction to go into, and the, and the, and the de education department, in my case, said I should go to a technical school. Now, that means a school where you work with your hands and do stuff like that, you know? I mean, and my parents didn't, because there was the age where parents didn't, if the education, if the school said so, it was so, 
you know what I'm saying? The school actually had like this, I mean, you would never go to the school and complain about how the school's treating your children, ever. Uh, and I couldn't come home and complain. Say, oh, you know, the teacher gave us a hiding, whatever the case, they, my parents would then give me another hiding on top of that if I was complaining because, this, you, know, you know, you get the deal. So my parents don't ask questions or anything like that. My dad doesn't go, man, I've never seen Gary tinker around in the motor, in the, in the car engine or whatever the case may be. So they send me off to this high school and I am useless. I, I, I'm literally useless. I cannot even, I can barely hammer a thing and a nail. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I've got no idea. <clears throat> and, um, and so when Jackie married me, part of her expectations was that I'd fix stuff around the house. <clears throat> you have no idea how bad I am. Um, amongst other things. So there's this, in fact, I think that all marriage prep should at least one session be going, can we just clear up because of the way you grew up in your context and all the rest of it, what your expectations are of him and him of her. It would just help so much. So Mark, if you want to include that in your marriage thing that you do, the uh, laugh your way, um, I think it would be quite helpful, don't you think? Exactly. You don't even have to credit me for giving the idea. It's like this couple were struggling and a wife hauls her husband off to a marriage counselor. And she's going, man, this is not what I expected here. Late, you know, just watches TV and just whatever, whatever, and just there's no romance, there's no excitement, there's no thrill, there's no, oh, man, I don't know what's going on. And um, just not what I expected. And the counselor stands up, walks around to their side of the, of, the, of the desk and that, and asks the lady to stand and kisses her for about five seconds, like a long kiss. And then turns to the husband and says, you need to do that at least twice a week. The husband goes, no problem, I'll bring her back on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> now you understand, you understand that what Micah is speaking about in the context of where he finds himself, this prophet, Israel's in a mess, things that are going down that are just not fair, there's injustice, uh, there's oppression, um, the rich are getting away with literally with murder, the poor and orphans are struggling and, and God speaks through the prophet Micah and he makes it very clear what he expects of us. Now, if you read the scriptures, there are a lot of, we have a great idea and many understandings of what it is that God expects of us. We cannot, for those here today who have crossed the line of faith, we cannot be ignorant and play the ignorance card and go, well, I don't know that God wanted me to do that or I don't know what God, that God expected me to do that. And here in the, through Micah, God is very clear what he expects of you and me. And so in the time that I've left, I want to just unpack briefly just three of the things that, that God says through the prophet Micah in that context, which I believe is relevant for today. Is that okay? Okay, the first one is to act justly. Now, I don't know about you, but that is so broad. Where do you even begin to understand what it means to act justly? And so I thought I might help in this. Someone ask Daniel, if you don't mind, why don't you give him a hand? Applause, whatever you say, there you go. Don't bring the button, there you go. So he's gonna be my, he's gonna be my helper. Um, today, so that's okay. Then can I ask, um, can I ask you two over there? C can you come up on the stage, is that okay? Would you mind, yeah, the two of you, do you mind? 
There you go. Give them a hand. Okay. Thank you. Do you want to put it down over here? Okay. Thank you. Are there any, can I just ask, um, and then can I ask, uh, I need a guy. Can I have you over there? Is that okay? That's right. Yeah. Do you mind? Thank you. That's what you get for sitting near the front. <laughs> thank you. Are there any, thank you very much. I need one more. Is there any 18-year-old um, girls, 18, 19-year-old girls that are, that are looking for a boyfriend? Is there? Come on, just raise your hand or just point them out. I don't mind. Someone's being pointed out. Who is it? Who are you pointing out? You have to come up to the front. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Okie dokes. Thank you. Right over here. You can thank your family later or whoever it was that pointed you out. Thank you. Okay, will you stand over here? There you go. And then Daniel, will you stand over here? A little bit closer? Okay. <laughs> Makes such a cute couple. <laughs> okay, can I, <laughs> can I ask for each of you, not you, Daniel, to take a ball out the bucket? Would you mind? There's a ball in the bucket. Do you want to take one out, each of you? Thank you. You as also, and you as well. Is that okay? Okay, and then just move back a bit again. Okay, thank you. All right, then we've got a couple more uh, over here. Daniel, okay, will you do that side over there? Is that okay? So someone over here, what do you call the person that throws the ball in your game? Pitcher. I don't know. You tell me. Okay, you ready? You go that side, but far. Oh, my word. What is a catcher? And I need someone that side. What do you call a catcher? A who? A catcher. Oh. <laughs> In what sport? What is a catcher called? A catcher. A catcher in baseball. That's creative. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Do you want to move out the way? Okay. Can I have the four of you come a little bit closer to the basket over here? Is that okay? Right. Now. Pastor Mark said to me that for everyone who gets the ball in the, bas in the basket, gets $10. So you can just chat him afterwards, okay? So I want the four of you to take the ball that you've got and throw it in the basket. No pressure, if you miss from this distance. Okay. Okay, go for it. There you go. Well done. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say something about the Green, back, Green Bay uh, court, Green Bay Packers quarterback. That's why you didn't get to the Super Bowl. Okay. Sorry, I know that was very sensitive and I apologize up front for that. I, I don't think you've healed yet. You haven't, no. Okay, can I ask the other people that have got a ball that we threw? Why don't you stand up where you are? One, two. Who this side over here? Who caught it this side? There you go, stand up and this side of here, okay, good. All right, now starting from you, okay, will you get it in the, bu in the bucket? Oh, not bad. Okay. Okay. All right, no pressure. <laughs> okay. When it comes to justice, the issue is this. Another minute, is that okay? Do you want to try again? 
Well done. Give her a hand. <laughs> when, <laughs> you try, did you try again or did you have two? Oh, you're going for 20 bucks. <laughs> I love it. When it comes to acting justly, it's simply understanding that for some of us in this world, life is just a little bit easier. Because of where we've been positioned, because of the context that we find ourselves in, because of where we grew up, because of our family, because of whatever else, life is just a little bit easier. And it, and, and it comes to a place where we understand that for other people, and I know easy is the wrong word, but it's pretty much the best I can find right now, but just to come to an understanding that for other people, life isn't as easy for them. The family that they grew up in, the neighborhood that they grew up in, the, the income level that they grew up in, and the context that they grew up in, for them, life isn't as easy. Because what you want to say to me is, Gary, it's not fair for them that threw from wherever they were. It's not fair. You know, it was so much easier for them. And part of acting justly, I believe, is for you and I to come to an understanding that for some people life was just not fair. And that we don't go, what acting justly is not saying, well, they had all the chances or they're lazy or whatever the case, whatever things that we say about people, which we do say. And to act justly as a child of God is number one saying, understanding that life has positioned me a little bit easier than others. And number two, acting justly, I think is just for a moment that you and I just step aside and we just thank God for what we have. We say, God, you know, yeah, I, I, we live ungrateful lives. You know, we just, we take, we take what we have for granted. And acting justly is being aware that for some people, life isn't as fair as it has been for us. Thank you. Do you guys want to grab a seat? Well done. Thank you. Because I, I cannot believe that for some of us here today that have been positioned here, I cannot believe that the only reason why we've been positioned here is really just to look after ourselves. I refuse, I, I, I can't believe that God would have put me in this position right here so that everything I have simply just belongs to me and that I, and I live my life for myself. Because then I think that somehow we've forgotten and we've got the thing wrong. And to act justly is about gratitude and to act justly is to just be aware of the fact that for some people life isn't fair and life is more, to get an education, to get a job. And I'm not only speaking about the context that you find yourself here in Green Bay, but I'm talking about across the world. When it comes to acting justly, I don't know if you have a, have a hero 
in your life. One of the guys who was a hero for me was a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a professor of theology in the, at the University of Berlin in the 1930s. You won't believe it, but in the 30s, Christians in Germany were divided over how they felt about Hitler. And there was a group of them that aligned themselves with Hitler and they wanted a pure German nation and they formed an official German church which supported Hitler and banned even converted Jews from any membership in the church. Bonhoeffer was one of those guys that was against it completely. He couldn't go along with Hitler's anti-Jewish, radically divided German vision. And so what he did is he went and formed an underground church that went against Hitler. In 1937, he was fired from the church. He flees to London, and two years later, he's faced with a choice. He was offered an opportunity at um, lecturing at the Union Seminary in New York, which would have been life, would have been easy for him. Or he had to return to Germany and continue to head up this illegal underground church who refused to go along with Hitler. He decides that his faith is meaningless if he takes the easy option. So he goes back to Germany and he finds Hitler so evil that in fact even at one stage he abandons his commitment to nonviolence and he gets involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. In 1943 he's arrested. In prison he leads worship services and God uses him to lead other people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then on April the 9th in 1945, finally he's put before a firing squad and he's executed. What distressed him the most, if you read his, his books and his diary, and, was the way so many Christians could sell out to Hitler's vision. Of how people could own the name of Jesus Christ and yet betray Christ. How people could pray in church that banned Jews from holding office or becoming members. And it convinced him that religiosity in itself was completely worthless. It didn't matter how fervently a person believed in Jesus Christ or how many times each day they prayed or how earnestly and sincerely they sang hymns on Sundays. In the end, the measure of spirituality is not how we are in the church, but how we are in our whole life. Our measure of spirituality is not what happens here on a Sunday morning, but our measure of spirituality is in fact what we are like when we leave this place. That's how we measure our spirituality. In the end, our measure of spirituality in fact is how we live in the world out there and how we treat those who can do nothing for us. And so God requires us to act justly, to go out into the world and to go to those especially who need us the most and who need God the most. Secondly, he calls for us to love mercy. If a little later on in Micah chapter seven, is probably one of the most profound scriptures you'll ever read. From verse 18 it says, Micah says, who is a God like you 
who pardons sin and forgives transgressions of the remnants of his inheritance. You, O God, who do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. Now, let me just explain that to you just for a moment in case you didn't get it. We worship a God who delights in showing mercy. Now, I don't know what context you grew up in church, but I know some people who understand God who's ready to smite them at any moment. And the God who we worship, he's just really waiting for you to put a foot out of place. And the moment you put your foot out of place, he is going to rain or howl on you. He's going to smite you and he's going to take you out at any moment. Now, clearly they never read Micah. Because the Micah that we understand the way, God, the way Micah speaks about God and who God is, is in fact the God who we worship is a God who delights in showing mercy. That means, in fact, that God is not waiting for you to trip up. It means, in fact, that God is not counting your sin. In fact, it becomes very real that scripture in Paul, and I know that uh, Pastor Mark's been preaching on it, that is why specifically the scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 says, um, love does not keep a record of wrong. And so we find this God that you and I worship is in fact he is delighted. In, he is an, he's waiting in anticipation. He's waiting in a moment of delight for you and I to come to him, ask for forgiveness so that he can, so that he can pour out his mercy. And, and he's waiting, delighted, excited, just in a moment to be able to show us how much he loves us and how great his mercy is for us. And so we don't come with fear and trepidation to God, thinking, well, God's going to, oh, no, not again. Yeah, you come again. Do I have to actually show mercy again to you? But in fact, we come to a God who delights in showing mercy. You clearly never got that. I mean, because anyone who has sinned and anyone who's been far away from God and anyone like me who continuously, in fact, falls and makes mistakes and quite frankly doesn't know why God is interested in me at all, delights to show me mercy. He delights to show me mercy. And if you're in a place right now when you feel, or you may feel the things that you have done or said or thought has put you and forced you to be in some horrific desert and you are too afraid or too racked with guilt to come before God and ask God for mercy and to ask God forgiveness. If you've done things that you think are so heinous that God wouldn't even want to look at you and you may think that God despises you, because of what you've done, or even worse, that you despise yourself. Not this God, because this God delights in showing mercy. He delights in it. Can you imagine that? This is the God who we worship. But it means that as God delights in showing mercy to us, we are called 
to delight in showing mercy to others. We are. And for people that have wronged us and people that have hurt us, you see, because I don't know about you, but my default is when someone hurts me, I'm like, man, the wheel's gonna turn at some stage and they're gonna get what they deserve for hurting me. In fact, even sometimes if I hear that something's happened to people that have hurt me, I'm like silently going, yes, thank you, Lord. But God requires us then to love mercy, not just to to act mercifully, but in fact to love mercy, which means that if we are going to be you know, congruent in our faith, that it means that if our faith here today means anything, and the true measure of our spirituality is in fact when we leave this place today and we and go and offer mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it. If you, if you unpack the, the, the scripture, if you unpack what it means to love mercy and to delight in mercy, it speaks about showing unexpected acts of kindness. Because I don't know about you, I don't expect, I, I mean, I don't think that God would show mercy over my life. So when God shows mercy and when he forgives me and loves me and showers his grace over me, I'm like, it's an unexpected act of kindness. Why? Because I don't deserve it. And so God expects us to go and show unexpected acts of kindness to those around us. And don't you think, don't you think that the witness of the church would be an absolutely beautiful witness when you and I go out of here and we show unexpected acts of kindness to people around us? The sooner the church moves away from being judgmental and critical and even hateful towards the world, and the sooner the church learns, you and I learn, to go out and say what the world, I, I, have, an, I have a small idea of things in America, I certainly know what it's like in Africa. The world out there needs people to show unexpected acts of kindness. And when it comes from the church, what a beautiful witness. <laughs> Finally, we are called to, I think, as the scripture speaks, to walk humbly with our God. Now, walking humbly with God is not, it's different to being humble. And, you know, you know, because we go around being very humble and, you know, I'm so humble I have to pray for pride. You know, but, you know, the sort of acts of humility. Walking humbly with God is different in that walking humbly with God speaks about how we give up our rights. To walk humbly with your Lord is about giving up our rights. You see what... Even although we, we've crossed the line of faith, the way we live our lives is we go, I still have rights in terms of how I live my life. My time belongs to me. Time is precious. And so I need to sort out my stuff first 
before I serve anywhere in the church, before I give anything anywhere in terms of my time, my money, <laughs> man, I worked hard for my money. There's a song, isn't there? That goes like that. I would sing it for you right now, but uh, I've worked hard for my money. And I have the right to spend my money as I want to. And I have the right to give my money to who I want to. And, 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 and big, you know, I've worked hard, they haven't. And so I have the right to decide where my money goes. I have the right to do what I want with my life. Walking humbly with God, and God expects us to give up our rights. Because the last time I checked, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me, he gave up his right to live in that moment. He gave up his right for vengeance. He gave up all of his rights, even his life, for you and for me. And part of the journey you and I have to learn about, about acting justly and about loving mercy is all found in the way we give up our rights. And that for me is the most difficult part of everything that I've said today. See, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to carry your cross. You must understand that when Jesus says this to his followers that we must carry our cross, he's actually calling us to die. Because no one in, in Jesus' time ever picked up a cross and lived, ever. If you were sentenced to death by crucifixion, by hanging on the cross, it always 100% of the time ended up in death. And so we've come and we say, oh, you know, I've got this thing and I'm carrying my cross. No, you're not. You know, I've got a situation in my life. Oh, I'm definitely carrying my cross. No, you're not. Carrying your cross is dying. And Jesus calls us to give up our rights. Because how, how do we, and I'm finishing with this, how do we literally walk with God? And how, how do we walk with God without giving up everything? Because we're walking with the one who gave up everything himself. I cannot walk with God and still hold on to things. So, don't you love the fact that God showed mercy to us? That God loves us unconditionally? But is it more important to know today clearly what it is that God expects of us? He calls us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together in this place. Thank you, God, that we can love you because you love us unconditionally. I pray, Lord Jesus, now in this moment, Lord God, that we would be overwhelmed by your love for us. We commit our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.